when I was looking for my first job, the second option or the competing option that I had was literally downtown. So as a new grad, you're thinking, okay, this is my career right now, but it's also going to be my career for the next 20 years or so. You have to think a little bit long-term and where do I see my career going and what do I want to build for myself? What's the biggest lesson that you've learned that sort of took you by surprise? Put your patients first. As long as you prioritize the patients, everything else will kind of fall into place. And I think that's actually very, very true. I found the hardest part was sleeping at night. You're scared about if your endo will work, the extraction that didn't go that well. The fear is real, man. Because you know you're in trouble. I think once the night sweats end, you're done as a dentist. I truly feel night sweats comes from caring and it comes from like, hey, I wanna do the best that I can for my patient. Did I do the right thing? I find life is a string of pearls. You could pursue one of a million paths. Man, I love the, or uh, live, but I love the prominent, it's not quite a mustache, but it's like a prominent, you know, caterpillar on the lips. So yeah, yeah, yeah. mustache, they say, yeah. What's it called? Uh, I don't know. I just, it actually, it's funny how it started. It started, I've had a beard forever. And then when COVID hit, we were at school and the IPC lady came up to me and she's like, so, so you guys have to do N95 fittings and you're going to have to lose that beard. And I was like, there's no way. Like, I can't, like, I've had this beard since whatever, grade nine. Like, I, I don't even know what I I've been like. growing it since grade nine. Okay. Yeah, I, like I was it. like, there's no way I can get rid of this. So I was like, well, is there any way? She's like, well, you can have whatever fits underneath an N95. So Ooh. I was like, okay, well, it's Movember at the time. So I was like, well, I'm just going to keep the dirtiest mustache of all time. So I trimmed everything down and had the longest mustache and just kept it since and kept growing it out. Got positive reviews. So I've just been riding it out since then. <laughs> But wow, you got the girth. Like the, girth, the mustache okay. has the girth. Like I can't get we're that still, kind we're of still girth. talking about mustaches. Okay, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like mine is like very thin, as you can see. You have like the yours basically covers what's this called? The nasal labial fold. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah yours goes all the way. It took some time. You gotta like kind of it's like a haircut, you know. If you're growing it out, you gotta like grow it, trim it back a bit, grow it up, and like build up that thickness. Uh, Nikki, what do you think? What do you think of his stash? I have nothing to add to this. Nothing to add to this. I think facial hair is disgusting. My girlfriend <laughs> loves the three day shadow. I've noticed three days, five days, too far, too far. They won't let you on a plane. Have three you ever had days... like a beard? Have you ever had like a full beard? Or no, hells no. no. No, I don't like it. I get, man, I don't know how you guys do it. I'm always itching underneath my mask and I don't know, man. It's not for I'm me. scared to see what I look like <laughs> if I take it off. I don't know. Yeah, I don't me know too. Yeah, me Damn, too. From man. N95, I was, I did the handlebars, and my girlfriend's like, "You look like a porn star." Oh, <laughs> it's like awesome. success. <laughs> you, have, <laughs> you have to post that on the on the Instagram at some point. If you have a photo of that. Oh, I do. I've I've plenty. I think she has more of me than I have of me, but uh, it, was, it was quite I the look for a good three months uh, or three weeks. You sorry. two just bromancing over here about <laughs> facial hair. I love it. You can't even, how do you even curate a three-day shadow? Because you could either go zero or like a week. So you just have to cut it no, back. Dude, off. I, see, I see her on Saturday, so I just stopped shaving Wednesday. But how do you go from five-day to three-day? I feel like you'd only go from five-day to zero, and then you have to build back up to three days. Like the oh, blades yeah, don't go exactly short enough it to. Uh, dude, okay. it's, it's, that's exactly, dude, I don't see her, like, we don't live together. Like, she lives in a different city. So Wednesday, I stopped shaving. That day three is Saturday. I see her perfect shadow. Day four, day five, Sunday, right? And then shave it off for work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm ready to go again, man.
Like, don't you find it to be a huge pain in the ass to shave your beard every day, like with a razor? <laughs> Isn't that just like an absolute time suck? Yeah, man, that damn hygiene, man. I, I find <laughs> brushing my teeth is is a pain in the ass too, but we all do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Do we? Yeah, so I've heard a bit. I've heard a bit. But Kyle, oh. man, you're so Kyle, uh, yeah, you're you're straight out of school. You're 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 in. Uh, tell us about your journey so far. I don't know. It's been it's been interesting. Um, I definitely am not quite in the role that I I saw myself being in. I ended up meeting the people that I work for actually at the I think it was the Sinclair, the Henry Shine kind of speed dating night they call it, where they have a bunch oh, of oh yeah. I yeah, remember a bunch that. Of different practice owners that are looking for associates and they they put on a bunch of food and drinks and you come and you kind of speed it. You go group to group to group and just chat and talk about job opportunities. I was like, oh, I don't know. It was midweek or something. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go to this. I don't know if it's my thing. Like, I'm pretty busy. Maybe I'll just drive myself. I'll hang out for five minutes. And then it got kind of disorganized. So everyone was kind of out of the, there's maybe 30 groups there. I feel like most people probably saw about eight, eight or nine different people and kind of st- spoke with them. So I happened to sit at this one table where I was like, oh, these guys look pretty chill. So I sat down, chatted with them, and we kind of just hit it off. And then they invited me out to their lake, and we went boating and stuff and hung out. And turns out they had just got a new clinic out in Leduc. And I've got family in the Southwest and in Beaumont, played hockey and stuff out in, in Edmonton, rural Alberta, tons growing up. So I kind of was familiar with the area. So I went and stopped by, and they they wanted to take me on, but they were kind of saying that this is going to be a pretty hands-off role. You're going to be more or less alone out here with not a ton of mentorship. But the good part about that is that it's going to be kind of your deal to do what you want to do with it and take it your direction. So yeah. I've been working out there for a year now since last July, actually. And lots of learning curves, right? Lots of speed bumps to that you come across in your first year out. But everything's manageable. But I've learned tons about the business side of things with them, um, but also just about being an associate and working in dentistry, which is nice. But Kyle, man, how do you like, how do you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, it's like the blind leading the blind here. Like, how are you supposed to know what you're supposed to be doing? How do you know what's acceptable? What do you do if you're in trouble? I see, I'm just going to be honest. I hate when people do this. Like I hate when owners, they're like, oh, I'm just going to build a uh, new clinic, stick an associate in there. They stick a new grad in there. And with all due respect, Kyle, like you don't know what you don't know. Oh, no. Like I, you're going to get into trouble. And I know you've been into trouble already. Like oh, yeah. what was your mentality behind like saying yes to this agreement? So, and that was the first thing I brought up to them when they kind of said that. I was like, so like, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm just going to be solo kind of deal. But um, the people that own it, he has a, a clinic in Wetaskiwin so they're not too far and he's been really good about like when I first started there he was in office doing some office stuff a few days a week so he was around for to give his perspective and you know give a hand where needed but um you know and like now he just comes into office whenever I have a big case so if there's a certain you know if we're pushing the limits on you know I want to try a new procedure or if there's a case with more complicated wisdom tooth exos or something he'll we'll plan that ahead and he'll come in and give some mentorship on that um he's also really available as far as consulting with cases and stuff it is a bit of a you know you have to really lean heavily on case selection i've found right and not getting yourself yeah. into deep water and just making sure if there's a case that you're questioning you know reaching out beforehand to r- go through the merit of the case and the different details with your your colleagues to make sure it's a case that you can manage whether it be ortho endo you know exos whatever it is and just make sure that that's something that is attainable and making sure that the patients know that as well but um, it does sound more hands-off than it is, 
Um, it's somewhere in between, I guess, but it's, it is something that I was also looking for. Cause I also know some people who work under, you know, in different setups where there's multiple associates or a very overbearing owner that kind of says, this is how we're going to do things. This is the way, um, which has its own benefits, right? Cause you have a lot of help, but I also knew I wanted some independence to try to really develop that, but it's definitely been, you know, there's some stresses there and some growing pains, but it's been good overall, I think. So everyone, I feel like in Southern Ontario or like Southern Canada, um, knows that you earn more being a rule or in, in our case, we call it like a Northern Ontario dentist. You know, it's just basically anything North of like an hour and a half out of Toronto. Why do dentists in rural areas and I think Nike, you would have a lot of light shed on this. Why why do you, do dentists actually make more um not practicing in the GTA? Is it patient flow? Is it quality of patients? Is it like what is it? Um, I mean, like you said, I'm sure Neki knows he's got tons of experience in that kind of domain. From what I've seen in, in our clinic, it's not as much, you know, it and it depends too. Like it's not like people are coming in saying I want K9 to K9 veneer fixed or they want, you know, like implants and a lot like that does come and come through it, but you don't quite see it as much. But I think one thing where I see it a lot from, you know, where it varies from some of the city clinics with just from the small, you know, sample size that I have having discussions with some of my classmates and other people I know that might be a year or two out. Um, One thing that we see a lot of is like quadrant dentistry. So people that'll come in that need, you know, from, you know, canine to seven of restorations. So you're anesthetizing one quadrant, you're able to do multiple services all in one go with one patient rather than having to do, you know, like a single DO or a DOMO and then you move on to the next patient. So that kind of, you know, as far as caseload and work that you're doing, you're doing a lot per patient often, but it it really just depends too. Like it is a bit of a different um, profile of what type of work you're doing often, I think, than if you picked certain clinics in the city. But it's so variable depending where you're at. Yeah, I, I find it's it's so tough. Like, I guess I'm kind of biased. I've only worked rural. I've never worked in the city. I just hear lots of stories. Um, what do you do when you get in trouble? Though? Like when we're, Leduc is different. Leduc is like, what, 20 kilometers outside of Edmonton. Yeah, I, don't yeah, I wouldn't I even call it that. rural. No, that's not rural, man. No, no. Uh, but like, say you're in Northern Ontario, I'm two hours. Like, I don't even consider myself that rural. And yet I'm two hours from Edmonton, two hours from Saskatoon. If we get into trouble, like, what do we do? Do we call the hospital? Because they don't even have like the hospital ends up calling me if there's an issue. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the, I, for me, that's the downside of being rural is like, you have like a, a dental emergency, like, you know, you're taking out a tooth you have an arterial bleed life sucks what do you do and you get you realize that that there isn't there isn't that support in those communities but on the other hand you do have so much opportunity like you said like you get to do a lot more procedures you get to um you get to really build up your dental resume because you do get a lot more experience and i think that's worth it like i i feel like combined with mentorship rural dentistry only with mentorship works well if mm-hmm. you're rural dentistry on your own i just don't think it works but in particular the money aspect think? how does yeah that factor because ever the only people that i know want to go rural are the people that want to make more money and pay off the student debts faster so like how do rural dentists make more money i guess it depends like like necky said you know 
where I'm at, it hardly qualifies as rural. It's not really, you know, it depends. The people that are definitely centered in the city, they might find it to be rural because it's a bit of a drive out of the city, but it's really not far at all. Um, yeah. Man, I consider anything I can't walk to rural. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Man, typical Toronto, am I right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. Like, if it's not a stop like, on the subway, it's rural. <laughs> yeah. like anywhere you live in Edmonton, you can pretty much drive to downtown in half an hour. It's like... It's not quite the same as Toronto out here, but yeah, um, I think a lot of, and I don't know, this might just be what I'm seeing, but when you are rural and from what I've heard, and we see this a little bit when we do our rotations through some of the Northern clinics, uh, when we're in school, we go up to McLennan and, and stuff like that. Um, case acceptance often when, it, you know, not for some of the major stuff, but for just generally, you know, getting work done in, in general is fairly high because patients don't necessarily want to go all the way to the city or they don't want, That's you right. know, they want to get it fixed then and there and they want same day and they want some treatment, they want some help. So you don't usually have to do a ton of convincing because they've came to you for a reason and they're looking to get treatment. So that, that plays into it a bit, I think, but um, I don't know, maybe Neki has more insight on why, you know, how the finance all rolls out for that. Man, you, you just get to do so much more dentistry and you're totally right. Patients want treatment. They don't want to drive two and a half hours to the closest specialist to get treatment done, which is a pro and a con because then I feel a lot of rural dentists take on cases. Maybe they shouldn't. And I'm looking in the mirror when I say that, like I, I full heartedly agree. I, I, I have made mistakes and I continue to make mistakes. Um, but you know, when patients say, you do this or it's not getting done and and I'm just going to suffer. Like you, you just jump in and, and you got to, you do the best that you can and patients are, you know, they're very understanding, but I, I find I, I wouldn't work in a city just because I love rural dentistry and it's not so much about the production or your ability to do more dentistry. It's the relationships that you make. And it's the relationships that you get to make with your staff and your patients. And it, it's, it's more of like a tight knit family, like the same kids that I coached in basketball. I'm now pulling their wisdom teeth like 13 years later. Right. It's, it's those type of relationships that is, is awesome. Like a kill when you go to the grocery store, do you think you will ever see your patients? No, I see my patients every day whenever I go to the grocery store, I go to the gas station or you go out for dinner and, and people wave at you and, and, you know, it starts to get annoying after a while when people are like lifting up their lip to show you their tooth and you're like, haha, yeah, I know I'm your dentist, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, man, it's, it's, uh, it's fun, man. I, I like rural. Would you ever go to city dentistry, Kyle? Um, ironically, when I was looking for my, my first job, the, the second option or the competing option that I had was literally downtown. So polar opposites mm. of what I'm doing. Downtown Toronto um, or downtown? Downtown Edmonton. Edmonton. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So if you qualify that as a, a true downtown, but <laughs> it uh, counts. <laughs> so it was, it was slightly different and it didn't work out just for other reasons. It wasn't quite exactly what I was looking for um, as a job and just the way that, you know, as far as room to grow into the position, it wasn't quite there with just the size of the clinic and, you know, what I was looking for, but, um, I would work in the city. I think I do like, you know, when you're saying you got to meet some of the nicest people and you get to know all your patients, I've met some of the nicest people ever out in the Duke, not that you wouldn't find any in the city, but, um, it's been a really nice place to work. Everyone's been super accommodating, super nice. And like I said, growing up on the cell side, having family in Beaumont, which is just outside of the Duke there, it's a French community. Um, I've, 
ironically ended up treating multiple patients who knew my grandparents and just through the system kind of knew each other. And who would have thought that however many years later, I'd be working in Leduc at a clinic I've driven past probably 50 times and I never even knew it was there and then end up treating patients that I've known from before. So it's, it's a really small community and cool to be part of. And it's nice to kind of give back that way on the tail end of things. You mentioned your, your, your business acumens, like how, how is that blossomed? Um, so that's one of the nice things too, is so the, on the clinical side, he's a mentor that's in the office and out of the office. So have to manage that on its own. But, um, as far as day-to-day stuff, his wife, um, they, she managed for years and years, their clinic in Wetaskiwin and helped grow that, but also managed a clinic in Tofield. Um, so she is actually in the office every day, except for, I think one day. Um, so she, you know, as far as where we wanted this clinic to go, go on the clinical side and what cases, what materials, what procedures and how we want to run that and all the flow. Um, she's also really invited me in to be part of the process of building this clinic back up since they've acquired it. So how we want to run the social media or how we want to do, you know, roll out Invisalign or certain case things and how we want that to flow through the clinic. And um, she's really shown me kind of also some of the behind the scenes of how it works to manage staff, which is a whole thing that, you know, when you're in dental school, they really hammer home clinical and, you know, how much bond to use, what matrix system and all these things, but you don't get a ton of actual usable information on clinic management, you know, how to manage staff, how to, how to build a clinic, how to manage patient relations when a patient is upset or doesn't, you know, there's an issue there. Like, how do you manage all those side of things? That's a whole nother part of dentistry that I think often gets, you know, you kind of have to learn just trial by fire once you get out and it's been nice to have a mentor on that side as well. That's actually invited me in and helped me grow there. So I, I find it interesting. And I, I I know that there's two sides to this argument as a business owner. I know that it's, you know, it costs a lot to buy a business to, to run the office, you know, staff equipment, yada, yada, I hear it. But like, you're essentially like on the other side, like you're essentially running this person's office for them you're building up their goodwill. You're building the equity in this office and you're not necessarily paid for any of that. For sure. And when that pay, when that person decides to sell that office to corporate, you're not going to share in the profit of that. How do you feel about that? And I know like, I, I, I don't, I hate it when people say like, you know, no one ever talks about this subject. So let's just talk about it. Like, yeah. do you feel a little, I don't know, like, jaded inside that you're like well i'm building this office for you homie um i you know to some extent you do think like uh you know if i'm doing you know if if there's work to be done and we're trying to figure out okay how to roll out this new you know this new thing and you're like oh i've got to put in all these hours after work and manage these things and you're always on your phone and always you know fielding calls and trying to figure it out part of your mind does kind of wander there and go like oh well you know not exactly getting compensated for this but indirectly you know in a sense you are because as you grow a clinic your patients are happier they get better care they come back all those things but on the you know direct financial side with your question they're like they did we have had this conversation you know before and they we've talked about a lot and they said whenever you're ready you know if you want to buy in if you want to buy out whatever your kind of interest is in this area uh we're completely open to exploring options with you and that's good they're they're transparent with showing the numbers and where the clinic was before they bought it, where it is now, how it's growing, practice valuations, all that stuff. Like 
um, they're very open to that. And they have said, you know, as soon as you're ready and want to, like, we're more than welcome to have you come in and, you know, take a piece of this and be part of it in the big picture. It's a good way to look at it. I almost look at, man, I was sweating Nike just from you know, Kyle's point of view, just listening, you know, thinking of his boss listening to this, just putting him in a, in a spot. <laughs> no, man, but, dude, how can you not? How can you, you have to have that in the thought of your mind as a business owner, as an associate? No one talks oh, about yeah. it. Just just no. be open about it. Totally. Well, this the clinic just real, down the right? road and the clinic just down the road from us that, you know, they've been in practice for forever, like as long as this clinic has been as well. Um, they just they just sold out to corporate as well. So it's, we're, we're waiting to see kind of how that's going to happen. Cause almost, you know, very shortly after that, a staff member had left and, you know, things start to change and, you know, I'm not saying corporate's the end of the world or the worst thing ever. There's, there's obviously, you can debate that forever and it's been debated at length in, in many different ways, but um, it is one of those things where it is in the top of your mind, right? Cause you're also, as a new grad, you're thinking, okay, this is my career right now, but it's also going to be my career for the next 20 years or so, or whatever it is. Right. So you have to think a little bit long-term in terms of where do I see my career going and what, what do I want to build for myself? Interesting. Yeah. I, I almost see it from the other angle too, where I'm like, you're lucky because you get to learn on someone else's dollar versus if you were to buy yourself, you know, your every single decision you make is, you know, monetary monetarily like affecting yourself. But I'd want to know just from that perspective of, kind of learning and and sort of seeing for the first because you're you're just over a year out you're just about a year out what's the biggest lesson that you've learned that sort of you know took you by surprise there's too many to name um i think the biggest part is you know as as funny as again when you're in dental school a lot of the focus is on the minutia of dentistry right like the variances in bonding and all the little tiny details and what you know how much degree of taper does your crown prep have and all these things which is good, right? Like you need to do excellent dentistry and your pa- your patients deserve that. But I think at the forefront of everything is, as you know, people would always say, put your patients first, you know, as long as you prioritize the patients, everything else will kind of fall into place. And I think that's actually very, very true. Um, so many times, and, and Neki, this is actually something that you touched on at your lecture in PDC, where you said, you know, all these cases I'm showing where there's mistakes or things that didn't go as planned or they're non-ideal, these are all my own cases. Like these are all things I've done. And he's like, these are all patients I've made mistakes on. And all of the patients, when you show the after photos, whatever, they're all smiling, right? Like none of them are like mad at you or hold it against you. Because if you, if you put the patients first and you truly, truly have, you know, their best interests at heart, they feel that they notice that. And that's going to just have so many downstream effects in your dentistry and how they see you and how your long-term relationship is with that patient. I think that is one thing that I learned that that whole greater picture is much more important um, and or equally as important as just the dentistry you're doing at the end of your loops and what you're seeing in the mouth. I totally agree. Um, What do you think is like an area that you feel like you want to grow into? So like, you you know, we're all going to make mistakes, but like what as a new grad, you're you're kind of out now, like what areas do you want to grow into? In the short term, it's about getting more consistent and increasing your pace in a way that's reproducible and things like endo, you know, exos, like you can complete it. You can do these things. You can you take your time, have good outcomes. But at a certain point, there has to be a point where you can do it and it doesn't, you know, throw off your day or throw off your schedule. And then that's also, you know, just skill with case selection, right? Like being able to look at rads and, and know, okay, 
yeah, this is something that's going to take me this amount of time, or this is something that's going to take me, you know, it's something I, or maybe it's something I shouldn't even do, right. I should send that over to Neki and have him pop them out. I shouldn't be touching these. Um, that's another thing that you, you learn a lot, you know, in the first six months probably is I was way over booking time because you come out of school and you have whatever it is, two and a half hours to do a deal, right. Cause you're getting all these yeah. checks and things. And then you come out and you, you know, you're like, Hey, I'll dial that back and you book whatever amount of time. And then you're sitting in the office going, okay, well, what do I do with the rest of my day? I got holes everywhere. Right. So as you start to kind of narrow that down and get a feel for how, what your hands can produce and what you can do in dentistry, it's, it's always changing, but um, I'd like to obviously, you know, keep working on that. But I think when you're saying, you know, what areas do I want to get good in right now, it's those main things, right. Getting good at taking out wisdom teeth. Cause you'll see a lot of that in Leduc and general dentists should be able to provide that and a lot of that to their patients. Um, and then, you know, endo, eventually getting into more of the, you know, implant stuff to just to be able to offer a wide range to patients. Cause in Leduc, that's the other thing is you do see a little bit of everything. So I think it's really important to be able to offer a little bit of everything to your patients. I'm going to put you on the spot here really quick without even skipping a beat. I say corporate. The first thing that comes to your mind is what word? Dental corp. Dental corp. Where has corporate gone so wrong? Because I, I always think about it like philosophically. Philosophically, there's a lot of good arguments for corporate. And there's a lot of bad, bad arguments for corporate. But why is it without, you know, skipping a beat, every dentist has the same perspective on corporate unless they're cutting you a check? It's tough Oh, to dude, you nailed that. it. Unless they're cutting you a check. Yeah. Because that's what I was just going to say. It's tough to say. And most of the people that I that I know that don't have a a negative I'd say, or like a less than positive outlook on corporate work for corporate. Um, and it's tough too. I don't know a ton about, you know, how they roll out a corporate that's in full ownership or when they're transitioning a, you know, an old owner out and the old owner is still running things. And so I think there's transition periods there where things change a lot. Um, and often when, when stuff like that happens, or just if, you know, if the focus is really on production or whatever it may be, um, then, you know, back to what I was saying earlier, then the person who usually suffers is the patient. And then when the patients suffer, you know, the clinic tries to make things work. And then, you know, if the associates are unhappy, then they leave or the staff leaves and their staff turnover. And then it just starts to create an environment that's not really conducive to ongoing comprehensive care with patients and just holistic care it just kind of becomes a, you know, see a hole, fill a hole. If there's an issue, treat it. And it kind of just like, that's at least how we've seen it through the system and through school and how things have just kind of played out. But I could also be completely wrong. I don't have enough experience to know. Um, and I'd also like to hear from, you know, some people who have worked corporate for many years that are pro corporate and see what their opinion is on that. But it, like a kill those, man, you will not find people that will tell you the truth about corporate. Because if you talk to the dentists that have gone through corporate and got that fat, fat check, you'll understand that for every person that they refer to and like to sell their office, they get a cut of it or they get really? a fat check. Yeah. So you're like, who can I trust here? Cause you'll yeah. have dentists come on and be like selling to this corporate was by far the, the better decision, like best decision I've ever made. You know, I, I, I've, I've had four kids, but selling to corporate was still the best decision <laughs> I've ever made. And you're like, 
Okay. <laughs> How much are they paying you to say that? And I'm like, you know that they're paying you. And then you go to these dental conferences and like Akil and I, we were just, we were at in Ontario at the ODA and we call it the flea market because everyone's trying to sell you shit. And you get people pulling you in three different directions. Let me introduce you to this corporate. Let me introduce you to, have you met this, this guy, this corporate? And I'm like, why? Like, why are you trying to introduce me yeah. to people working for corporate? No one's ever trying to introduce me to a lab. No one's ever trying to introduce me to a scrub shop. You know what I mean? Because you everyone's you get getting that, like a lot a more now. Tons, man. I get Facebook introductions. Hey, do you think I can get my buddy at uh, Dental Corp to give you a call? Like, I'm going to give him your number. Blah. You, this could be like the best decision you ever. And I'm like, bro, who the hell are you? First of all, and B, like, don't don't be giving out my number. Yeah, Cal, you got my number, but that's by fluke, man. No, man I feel like your clinic would not even <laughs> be like this the standard like textbook dental corp acquisition clinic. Like, it it wouldn't. I feel like it does just breaks the stereotypes. Like your clinic's so unique in the way that you just run things and how it's, how it's like, it's just you. It's your personality in a clinic, which is awesome. And that's, I like that. It's different. The dental industry has been the same for so long. I like things that shake it up a bit. It's all, it's all my office manager, Patricia. It has nothing to do with me. <laughs> I kind of sit on my own side, listen, <laughs> listening to Drake in my own, in my, in my own three ops and running back and forth, trying not to mess up. That that's my <laughs> daily life is <laughs> my blood pressure is high because I'm scared of making my next mistake. That's, that's how I live my life. <laughs> in theory though, I, I, like I hear what you're saying. In theory, like corporate is because I've thought of this so many times in corporate in theory, corporate is sort of like what done and nobody's cutting me a check. So like it is all the things that make sense in an industry, right? You you centralize a fragmented industry. You let people do what they want to do, which is dentistry, and you pay them well, right? Like no one benefits from the fragmentation of dentistry other than the people that are selling to the fragmented dentists. But I don't know why or where in execution it's gone so wrong because it seems obvious, does it not? Like centralize a fragmented industry. Like there's a reason why I'd rather go to Costco versus Hasty Market, right? Or like a convenience store. Like there's there's benefits to consolidation. There are genuine benefits to consolidation. But I don't know where it's gone so wrong where every single person in the industry just has this terrible view of corporate. So what would you do then when you, if you, like when you go to graduate and you got a job offer from two competing clinics and they're comparable or one was even better, but it was corporate, would you take it? Well, it depends. I don't have a knee jerk reaction to corporate. I don't think because like, I remember I gave, I won't say who said this, but I was at a talk and I had said, you know, to, to someone who was representing, you know, a, a fairly big, you know, body in dentistry. I had said, well, you know, you're so anti-corporate. I'm again, not pro-corporate. I'm not anti-corporate. I'm straight down the center. I just look at the facts and and sort of, I don't really have a side to pick. And, and I was like, you're so anti-corporate. I've heard you go on and on about how bad corporate is, but you know, what happens when I work for somebody like you and I have a problem with you? Because you're as high as I get to go. You're the CEO, you're the CFO, you're the CMO, you're my boss, you're my dictator. What do I do at that point? <laughs> and, and, and he was just dumbfounded. Like he had no answer, right? And 
so I don't know because I I can't make a generalization that all corporate is bad. Just like I can't make a generalization that all solo practices are good because I'm sure there's terrible solo practices to work at as a a new grad, right? Like I've heard a million horror stories, just like I've heard a million horror stories about corporate. So I I truly don't know. I would I would have to pick it, you know, by the case because I don't really have like a, a an umbrella decision that I've made about it. Yet, at least, I've also never worked for anybody in in, in a dental capacity. But um, I don't know. Truly, I feel like one of the big red flags, like I see, in addition to that, like just looking at some of the roles I like my friends have versus me that I I went to school with is, um, like if I like the the position I'm in, you know, if I decide I want to do be an associate for life and just you know cruise go on cruise control till they sell it off to a corp in the future, and then I kind of just ride off into the sunset or change jobs or stay on, um, you know that's fine. But if I want a piece of the pie and I want to buy and kind of invest into that clinic and help grow it and make it kind of my own as well and be part of that, that's an option I have there. But with corporate, I don't think you really have that option, and unless I'm you know wrong, I. You know, you might work for a corporate and it could be a great job and a great spot in the city that's near your house or anything like that. But you're kind of capped as far as, you know, making it your own and buying, changing things, making it your clinic because corporate owns it. Right. So I think that's a yeah. big drawback, too. If that's one of the goals you have as a new associate, you're kind of limited there. I feel like they try to entice a lot of new grads by showing these areas of mentorship and continuing education and will make you an amazing dentist all by all while hindering your growth at the same time. Um, I like what, as a new grad, you've been out for what, two years, year and a half, you said. Yeah. A year. So year, year and a half. like, where do you want to, where do you want to go next? Like what, what, what's your next course? Like what part of dentistry do you feel like, aside from, like you said before, like becoming more efficient, like what kind of general dentist do you want to be? Like, do you want to go more into surgery? Do you want to go into cosmetics, endo? Like, what's your, what do you want your things to be, man? Uh, Cosmetic is nice. Obviously, I feel like that's, you know, everyone says that. Cosmetics is nice because it can be very, you know, life-changing for a lot of patients, but so can a lot of things, right? If someone's in a lot of tooth pain and you get them out of that with a nice quality endo and that tooth lasts them forever, that can also make a big difference. But, um, Dude, you just said the thing that kills all, all new grads. What's that? Because that tooth will last forever. Yeah, not forever. But and and I think I think no, it's seriously, man. And I don't yeah. mean to give you a hard time, but like it comes down to the way that you communicate with patients. And by saying things like that, that's where yeah. new grads, including myself, get into so much trouble. Is we label these things that like have time values on them and are and are like, man, I just want to do this and have it last you for years and years and years. And then in the patient's head, oh, it's going to last me for the next 57 years. And then two, two and a half years later, like the crown yeah. breaks right off of the gum line. And then yeah. they're at your throat, man. They're at your yeah. throat. And you're like, you told me this is going to last me years and years. And I invested all this money. I uh, I don't mean to cut you off. <laughs> Dude, I hear that shit all the time. No, and, and, and you're like, not man. wrong. And I've, I've made that mistake. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've definitely made that mistake before too. I, in dental school, there was one time that just like stands out the most where it was one of those, one of those exos where you're looking at the rad and you're like, yeah, like you tell the patient, like, this will be no problem. This will come out easy. And then of course, oh, that's yeah. the case. That oh. just, you never say that, right? It did not oh. come out easy. And they're struggling forever. So that was when you're like, you learn, you're like, okay, that is not it. And obviously, yeah, you know, saying things like it's going to last forever or like, 
you know, that went excellent. It, there's no issues there. It's like, you have to be very careful what you say and, you know, really have them understand that, you know, it, there's all these different variables that come into the prognosis of any work that you do and you're trying to get a certain outcome, but there's always variability and depending on all these factors, how they stack up, it can be, you know, it can, sometimes you're looking at the average of what something might last. It can sometimes last longer than that. And sometimes it can be much, much shorter depending on the case. Right. But I think part of it too, you know, back to what you're saying, when you're saying what kind of dentist you want to be and how do you want to learn and stuff, I think it's tough because there's so much to learn out there. And often it's hard or overwhelming when you're a new grad to pick where to learn from, right? There's a lot of CE, a lot of different offers. Every course says it's going to be the best, right? They're going to make you the most competent. They're going to make you have the most successful endos, the most successful implants. And you're like, okay, well, how do I know which one's which, right? When, when I don't have any thing to go off of. So I've been trying to find mentors in my circle as well that can give just a bit of opinion and perspective that isn't, you know, obviously you're going to take CE, that's a given, but even for example, for ortho, right, we've started doing a bit more Invisalign, we're kind of rolling that out, um, getting connected with an orthodontist that you have a good relationship with and start to build that so you can run cases by them and ask them questions and get their opinion um, and have them be honest with you, right, and give you the no BS answer. I think that's important. Same with having, you know, if you had a surgeon or someone like you that has a lot of experience in exos, right, that you can run cases by and ask a few questions with. I think that's huge for sure. What is the thing you're most underprepared for graduating dental school? Um, in the immediate term, I think volume of patients and just um, understanding that, you know, you don't have you don't have someone to fall back on, right? When a patient comes in and asks you a question, you can't be like, great question. Let me go double check with an instructor, right? It's at the end of the day, it's you. And you're, you know, you're in most cases, you might be one of the younger staff members on your team working as a new grad. So, you know, they're a bit older than you that you, you feel like they have more experience and often they do, right? They've been there for years and they have tons of experience and often have seen way more things in way more cases than you have. But at the end of the day, sometimes, you know, they'll look at you and say, okay, so what do you want to do? And then it's like, oh, right yeah, I got to pick, I got to make a judgment call on this. So I think um, one of the biggest things, and that's something that I definitely, you know, saw coming. I didn't see it going, like I didn't expect as big of a transition as there was, but um, throughout dental school, one of the things I really focused on doing was trying to build that independence and always, you know, come to a conclusion or a decision prior to going to ask your instructor for their opinion. Or, you know, if you were going to do work and you were like, okay, I think this crown prep is good make sure you've done all your checks and that it's actually as good as you think it could be your need before you go get it checked so that you're not really relying on them as much as possible to carry you through, but just to kind of validate that, you know, the clinical judgment, the clinical calls and decisions you've made to get to that point are sound or where you might be going wrong and where you need to adjust. Man, that, that's a, that's a great answer, Cal, but that, that doesn't tell me the real truth. I found the hardest part when I was in your shoes was sleeping at night because I, I was scared shitless of all the stuff that was upcoming. And, you know, you're scared about if your endo will work and you're scared about the extraction that didn't go that well, or you're scared about the patient you're doing ortho on their teeth aren't moving and they're already mad at you. The fear is real, man. Fear is real, but I find that fear creates the best opportunities to learn because you know you're in trouble um and now it's almost like i better i better learn everything i can about all this subject 
right now because I have to know how to deal with this. And it's nice. You're totally right. Like it's, it's sweet, like reaching out to surgeons or orthodontists to be like, Hey, what would you do here? But then when you're in that scenario, it's just you. And I found the hardest part, the first, like, I'd say the first three to four years out was like taking on those cases and like sleeping at night. And like, I'm 14 years out. I still have cases every day that wake me up in the middle of the night. Like oh, yeah. every single day I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be like, Oh shit, I wonder how they're doing. Or am I, uh, like, I don't know if this patient's not healing. They have a huge infection. Like, should I send them to the hospital? Like, or do I, or, you know, what, what do I do? What do I do? And I, I find that tough. Do you ever have cases like that? Or am I just crazy? No, that's every night. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All the time, <laughs> all the time you're waking up and you're like, Oh man, like going through the process in your head. Okay. I did this step, this step. Yeah. Everything's looking good. And like, you know, yeah. A patient that has some post-op sensitivity and pain, you're thinking, okay, well, is there anything I could have done? Should I, can I help them now? Should I call them tomorrow? Like, what can I do? Right. So, um, one thing that's helped with that, I think just for my peace of mind is I have, I do a lot of post-op calls in general on any big case. So yeah. if we do a big endo or whatever, calling them that night or the next morning, just checking in how you doing. It puts your mind at ease a lot. And if there is a problem that's brewing, you can then, you know, jump in and help them, which is nice. So that's made a big difference, yeah. but I don't think I'll ever be able to escape the night terrors, the dental night terrors. The dent- like- man, the only thing that helps me through that is gravel and Benadryl. That combo yeah. puts me to sleep and I don't care what the hell is going on. Yeah. I may have a hangover for 24 hours, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm not even kidding. Like, I don't take both at the same time, but like I was taking <laughs> gravel a lot. Like his gravel puts me to sleep instantly and it allows me to like sleep good for like at least six or seven hours. And I, I there was a point in my career I was taking it every night and I just, I found dentistry. I know I joke about it, but I found dentistry very stressful. I still find dentistry extremely stressful. And like, I get night terrors all the time thinking about patients, thinking if what I've done has made them worse off or, or better off, you know what I mean? And, and, and you don't know how to deal with complications and, you know, you've, you've heard it time and time again, complications are what will define your career. And I just, I don't want to let complications define my career because that's what will allow us to go into different parts of dentistry. Like if you, if you have a really bad experience with a set of wisdom teeth, which I hear about all the time from like students in my course, like, you know, they, they got bit and now they're too scared to dive back in. So then they go into cosmetics and we'll never take out a tooth ever again. And I just don't want that to be me, you know? They go yeah. into cosmetics. Like that's like the ultimate <laughs> failure. <laughs> May as well roll over and die at that point. Going into cosmetics. Oh, the tooth. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, de- I, I definitely mm-hmm. think that's, that's huge too. Like, you know, if you have a case, cause you're, you're going to have cases that go south, like even, um, even when you're 20, 30 years out, you're going to have stuff that just doesn't work, right? Dentistry is great, but it's an imperfect science in a lot of ways. And I think like, you know, that's it. It's how you manage those, those complications. And when you do have a negative, I think you have to, you have to learn from it, but you have to also be able to push through and, and apply that to the next case and make sure that there is a next case. If you just kind of shell up and you don't, especially as a new grad and you don't try to progress, um, that can really, you know, have a long-term impact on your, what you provide to your patients in the future. And um, I think that's definitely something that's hard is when you do have a, you know, a setback, making sure that doesn't just stop there and kind of turn you off of that treatment. But 
what's next for you? Like, what do, what do you want to do after, you know, after you've done your couple of years? Like, do you want to buy in? Do you want to start your own practice? Do you want to move to Ecuador? What's your... Um, I would like to buy in. I think that'd be the first next step here would be to buy in with them um, and expand a bit, you know, there. And then I know we had talked a little bit about it in our long-term play. She, my boss and his wife, so both of them together, they they also want to potentially open another clinic, um, you know, and expand beyond the clinic we're in right now and have another one, maybe do a commercial setup where you have a commercial building. One of those bays is a dental clinic. And then you have, you know, other rental opportunities through there to whatever other healthcare might be physio pharmacy, whatever that kind of thing. You see a lot of that nowadays. So I feel like that's pretty standard for people to say that, but I guess the stepping stone would be to buy in now, um, still get more experience. Obviously being out for a year is not really, I wouldn't qualify that as experience at all, right? There's so much to learn, um, but slowly start building that up and then eventually hopefully have my clinic, you know, a clinic on my own one day. Damn, man. What, what do you, what do you think dental school prepared you the least for? Oh man. I don't know. Like, I guess it depends to like, we were talking about this the other day, um, just with some of the, like some people and I wanted, I guess you were a U of S grad, so you might have a perspective on this, but one of the nice things of U of A is we don't have like, as far as graduate programs, we have ortho, we have uh, perio, but we don't have surgery or anything like that. So our surgical experience and the facilities we have are, are fairly good. Actually, we get pretty good exposure. And um, I think one area where we don't really get any, you know, our education on is pretty good, but we don't get a lot of clinical touch points on it is ortho for sure. Um, and perio, we get our rotations through. We don't get a ton of, you know, advanced training and any of that stuff. Like when we talk surgery, all the surgery that we do is basically exos. Like that's all that we had exposure to yeah. there. A tiny bit of it. There's so yeah. much surgery beyond that too, that you can do. Right. And we didn't really get any exposure to that. Um, and then implants as well. We get, we got really good training because Dr. Linky was an excellent, you know, he's an excellent instructor in that. And we got lots of good didactic material on it, but the actual clinical basis for it, we didn't have a ton of cases and exposure to it. So you kind of did bits and pieces throughout. Right. So like when you had your clinical rotation through, your implant clinic, you know, one day you're doing the exam and then the next, you know, two weeks later when you're in there, you might be doing, you know, the restoration or post-op check or whatever it might be. So it's, it's kind of, that's an area too, where I think it would have been nice to have a bit more knowledge in. Um, but it's obviously stuff, you know, going forward in your career, you're gonna have to learn so much after the fact of CE and stuff. Um, but those are probably some of the main things, but is that something that you found I guess, looking at back on you being at U of S I've heard that it's, that's partially why it's so awesome is because they don't have those specialty programs to kind of yeah. metabolize some of the cases. You guys get a lot of exposure to that. I I still remember my very first tooth. I pulled a four, four. I don't know how it came out, but I got it out. And uh, it, it's one of those things that'll always stick with you, but that was all the surgery I did. Like I did, I only did, I think we pulled like 20, I think I pulled like 20 teeth. That was all the the surgery I did. I volunteered to have a perio surge done on me, and uh, I had no idea what I was getting into. Yeah, on me, and I had no idea what I was getting into. And I feel so bad for the periodontist. Like I feel like younger Necky was just an idiot. Like had no common sense. He did all this suturing of like my lower lower four teeth and yada yada and and like literally one day later i'm like ah, it's probably healed and i bite into an apple and i'm like 
and like just tear everything open. It's bleeding. It's pain. And I was like, what the hell did I just do? And, and if a patient did that now, I would lose my mind. And yet I'm a like almost a dentist and I still do stuff like that. But that was like the extent of my um, surgery experience. We just, we just pulled teeth. Um, but I, I wish I would have got more. Like, I wish we all would have done the soft tissue surgery. We never placed implants at U of S we restored them, but I heard in U of A, you guys get to place implants. Hey. Yeah. Some people, not everyone, um, which is, you know, the unfortunate thing, but some people do. How how does that work? Why not everyone? Why some? Just not enough cases and not enough time. They they keep it really tightly controlled on what they can do. Uh, like, and who gets to do what and and how many they do. Cause I think again, a lot of that goes through the, there's a C, you know, program there oh, with yeah. fund, and then there's also our grad, like a GPR. So they, yeah. they get a lot of that as well. But um, yeah, like our facilities for surgery are awesome. So really good place to learn and, and do that. But I didn't get to place an implant when I was an undergrad, but some of my classmates did and learned a lot. I think it was with Dr. Lung mostly. I, I think he's still there. I'm not sure. Don't feel like you're any worse off or better off because I can guarantee you at that stage in your career, you have no idea what the hell is going on. And so I don't think that translated into any better of a clinical experience as a dentist. So don't feel bad. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, man, it was so good having you on the pod. It's, uh, it's, it's cool to see the perspective of a first year out of dental school, um, dentist, you know, fully licensed dentist. And you have some experience under your wings and I'm sure you're going to get a ton more. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah, no problem. It's nice having you guys out. It's also nice hearing from, you know, someone who's still in the system, but then also someone who's got tons of experience. And obviously the dental profession respects a lot, still say that they get dental night terrors. So, Oh man. Night they sweats. Do, oh, if, I think, I think honestly, I think once the night sweats end, you're done as a dentist. Cause I feel like, yeah, hang it up <laughs> because that means that you don't care as much anymore. I truly feel night sweats comes from caring and it comes from like, Hey, I want to do the best that I can for my patient. Did I do the right thing? And until it heals, you'll never know. Or until that infection goes away, you'll never know. Um, or I guess on the flip side is you just don't want to get in the shit either. Right. So that's yeah. what keeps you up at night too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Oh man. Yeah. Cal, you're a good dude, man. Uh, please stay in touch and uh, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Yeah. Thanks guys. See you around. Welcome to the high I'm done. Necky, is that a sweater? Yeah, dude. Dude, it's the Hi, I'm Doctor sweater. Oh, dude, I see you got yours on too. Looking sharp, bro. Dude, where'd you get yours from? Uh, It it was super easy, man. I just went on to our website, www.hiimdoctor.com. That's H-I-I-M-D-R.com. We have a website. We must be raking in cash from selling these sweaters. Dude, we are killing it. I mean, if, if that includes losing money on every single sweater that we make, I, I think we're doing really well. Yeah, Neki and I are donating all proceeds, which is zero, to charity because we are losing money. <laughs> so we, I, I wonder if the charity will pay us. I think I think we got something here, man. Let's, let's keep on <laughs> let's keep on losing money on every sweater. Alrighty, guys, go check us out. Hiimdoctor.com. We'll see ya.